Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. We begin the readout tonight with breaking news, and it does not sound good for one Donald J. Trump. The New York Times is reporting that prosecutors in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office are signaling that criminal charges for the former president are likely to come for his role in the hush money payments to porn star Stormy Daniels. The Times reports the prosecutors offered Mr. Trump the chance to testify next week before the grand jury that has been hearing evidence in the potential case, according to four people with knowledge of the matter. Such offers almost always indicate an indictment is close. It would be unusual for the district attorney, Alvin J. Bragg, to notify a potential defendant without ultimately seeking charges against him. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office has declined comment. Now, if those charges are made, it would be the first indictment of a former United States president and the first time that Trump, who has faced numerous criminal investigations, would be charged with a crime. As you may remember, that $130,000 payment to Ms. Daniels was made in the final days of the 2016 presidential election by then-Trump lawyer and fixer Michael Cohen on Trump's behalf. Cohen ultimately went to jail for his role in that payment and has been a cooperating witness ever since. Just this week, Cohen met with the DA's office for the 19th time in preparation to meet with the grand jury as soon as next week. And joining me now is former Senator Doug Jones of Alabama. He is currently a distinguished senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Charles Coleman, former Brooklyn prosecutor, civil rights attorney, and MSNBC legal analyst. And Renato Mariotti, former federal prosecutor and legal affairs columnist for Politico magazine. Uh, my, my brain trust tonight, I uh, appreciate you all being here. Senator Jones, I do want to go to you first because— this is actually a big deal if it happens. But I want to take a step back and say that if is the operative word here. But the fact that you've now had Trump invited to speak before the grand jury, per the Times, it says something that isn't good for Trump. Uh, please explain. Well, you know, look, Joe, I'm going to take a little bit different approach. What it, it clearly says that this investigation is nearing the end one way or another. It clearly is coming to the end. That's, that's kind of the last step. I think in most cases, a lot of cases, you would think that it would be unusual that you invite somebody and then not charge. However, we really don't know what's going on in that grand jury. When Michael Cohen has been there, you got to admit, this has been a crazy matter. The president's lawyer has gone to jail. Stormy Daniels' lawyer has gone to jail. Yep. It is a sordid chapter in American history. So we really <laughs> don't know. But it doesn't look good, I think. But at the same time, this grand jury may just want to hear from him to close these books. We're going to have to wait and see and let them do their job. Yeah, I mean, from your point of view, Charles Coleman Jr., it, it, it is it's unusual at all for a president to be in this position. For this president, though, it, there is some irony, you know, given the fact that we are talking about his involvement in January 6th. 
Uh, we're talking about his, you know, the schemes to put forward fake electors. We're talking about Fonnie Willis is investigating him for potentially trying to undermine the election in the state of Georgia. Tish James has a separate investigation of him. There are all sorts of investigations from alleged tax fraud, uh, not paying taxes. All kinds of things are here. However, it does seem that the ripest political case, I didn't even mention the Jack Smith investigation into January 6th, it does seem like the ripest case that he is dealing with is the Stormy Daniels case. What do you make of this revelation by the Times? Well, Joy, as you've just indicated, this has been a proverbial foot race between prosecutors to see who is going to catch the gingerbread man first. And it seems as though out of nowhere, Alvin Bragg, who was all but out of the race by his own decision previously, is now taking the lead. What I will say is that while he may seem closest, this case in comparison to the others does not appear to be strongest. I do think that it is a strong indication that Alvin Bragg is leaning toward charging Donald Trump when you're talking about this indictment. But let's be clear and understand that the grand jury still, upon hearing the information, I believe Senator Jones was alluding to this, actually has to vote for a true bill before he can indict. Now, of course, prosecutors will tell you that you can get an indictment in most cases on a ham sandwich if you try hard enough. And so I don't necessarily see that being a huge hurdle. But what I will say is that even after an indictment with an eventual prosecution, we need to understand that Michael Cohen is a witness with significant credibility issues. And so when you're thinking about prosecuting this case, there are a number of hurdles, not to mention very quickly that Alvin Bragg had previously looked at this legal theory before and he decided not to prosecute. This has not been something that just fell on his desk. He's explored this for a little while now. So the question will become, what is different now that you didn't know then that you're making this decision to move forward? Yeah, you know, and that, I guess, has been my issue too, Renato Mariotti. I mean, to the point where two of his prosecutors quit, saying that they felt there was a strong case and that uh, Alvin Bragg did not move forward on it. Um, you now have had some kind of turn in the weather, but let's talk about the strength of the case itself. We do know that Michael Cohen, strong witness or not, was not having an affair with Stormy Daniels. We know that for sure. We know that Donald Trump was the person who had an interest in Stormy Daniels not talking about that affair because he was running for president. And we also know that that Michael Cohen took out a loan, paid Stormy Daniels $130,000 and then got a reimbursement check. We've seen pictures of the check. There it is with Donald Trump's magic marker signature on it, reimbursing him for the exact amount that was paid to Stormy Daniels. And we know that Michael Cohen, for doing that, in terms of that being a campaign finance violation, was sentenced to three years in prison for a crime in which Donald Trump was named as the unindicted co-conspirator. The person that was named, that was unnamed in it, was Donald J. Trump. He served 13 and a half months for that. So I think that when people look at it, whatever you might think of Michael Cohen as a witness, it is true that he went to prison for something he didn't do. And so fairness would indicate that the person he did it for is at least as culpable as he is. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Trump is ultimately the driver of this scheme. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. I think the, you know, and I, th I think the commentary that was just given a moment ago, which I actually agree with, is just simply that under the, you know, in terms of New York law, this there's going to be some challenges in this case. Now, one thing I think won't be a challenge is the misdemeanor charge. The the making a false statement in a business record, I think that's much stronger. 
The, the question is, and the, the challenge for uh, Alvin Bragg and his team is going to be, how can you turn that into a felony? And ultimately, the issue is going to be, was there a, a, a violation of New York election law here? And that means that was this $130,000 payment a contribution, effectively a contribution to the Trump campaign? Because this was really in the midst of an election and they needed to keep it quiet in order to make sure he won the 2016 election. The Trump team's going to try to say, hey, he was doing this because he loves Melania so much he didn't want to hurt her. That, you know, I, probably not going to appeal to most people. Uh, the question is, there one juror who that would potentially appeal to, that, that argument? And that's, yeah. you know. I mean, and I want to go back to you, uh, Senator Jones, because, look, I mean, you would know better than most about making difficult cases. I mean, you were prosecuting Klansmen in Alabama. <laughs> it ain't easy to do that, OK, given the fact that these folks were walking on murders for decades and you managed to do that. So but but there is a principle. I am not a lawyer, but I understand from fellow lawyers and friends that are lawyers that prosecutors don't bring a case they don't think they can win. It's not a question of whether you can get an indictment, which is Charles Coleman Jr. has been very correct and saying you can indict outside on grand juries. Most everybody gets indicted, okay? But it's the question of can you win this case? And with Donald Trump, it is very different. This guy has been Teflon legally. He's gotten away with everything. I don't know if he's paid taxes since the 90s, and he's gotten away with it. And so the question then becomes for a prosecutor like Alvin Bragg, who did seem to walk back from it before, what would be the incentive structure that could have changed that said, you know what, I'm going to bring potentially first before Fonnie Willis, before anyone else, a case that could be as difficult as this? You know, well, Joey, that's a $64,000 question. And I don't think any three of us could answer because we're not in that grand jury room. Uh, I think there was some pressure on him to take another look at the case. That's not always unusual when a, someone declines a case and there's something that pops up that's not in the public eye necessarily that comes to your attention, you know, say, okay, I'll take a look at it. But we're not present in the in the grand jury room. We haven't seen, we haven't heard Michael Cohen testify. We haven't seen any responses from Stormy Daniel. We haven't seen any of that. So there's something there that gives him both some pause, but also the ability to go forward. And remember, this is not the first rodeo in, in terms of cases like this. Remember, John Edwards was indicted. He wasn't, it wasn't payments to a porn star, but he was indicted on similar type charges for payments to protect his presidential aspirations. So and, and he was found not guilty, by the way. So I think there's a lot and especially and I've said this about all of the of the Donald Trump investigations. Anytime you've got Donald Trump and a former president of the United States, you have got to be extremely cautious. You've got to make sure the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and you've got to have more than just a strong case. You've got to have it abundantly clear and a, a belief in your gut that this is a case that not only can you win, it's a case that needs to be brought. And that's a pretty it's going to be a pretty high bar. There's going to be a yeah. lot of great. I, I'd love to see the internal discussions going on about whether yeah. or not to bring this case. Uh, Charles, you, you are you are you are nodding in agreement there. Your, your thoughts on that. I've said this a very uh, number of times on this platform and very and many others that, you know, when you come for the king, you cannot miss. Even if it, even if it is the former king, you started your lead in joy talking about how this is basically uncharted water and unprecedented territory. And that's exactly right. There are a number of different considerations that Senator Jones just alluded to around a decision like this. And one of them is, quite frankly, there is an enormous amount of political pressure because we are entering into 
a presidential election year and a presidential election cycle with a former president who has already declared that he intends to run. So all of these factors come into play when you're talking about being able to prosecute him and being able to give him, quite frankly, as he is guaranteed by our Constitution, a fair trial in front of a jury of his peers. There are a litany of different considerations in terms of the complexity of actually trying a case like this, moving forward with the prosecution, guaranteeing him a fair trial that if you get a conviction on, will not be subject to appeal and then be above all that being able to get a conviction. So there's a lot of different pieces in a conversation like this that aren't usually present that Alvin Bragg, Fonnie Willis, Jack Smith, and others have to take into account as they're making their decisions about how to move forward with some pretty strong evidence in a number of different in instances, but that's just not where the conversation ends. Yeah, that is a perfect, you, you've set me up perfectly for the next block. I promise we did not talk before this, uh, but uh, right on the other side of the break, that is actually what I want to dig into. My wonderful panel is going to stay with me on the other side of the break. I do want to talk about the mechanics of this. It isn't just that it's a former president. It's a president that essentially has a personality cult behind him. The security aspects for the jury, the security aspects for the judge and the prosecutors, just all the logistics of if this happens. And again, I have to emphasize, this is not a yes, it's going to happen. This is an if it happens. But we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. Let, let's go ahead and pay for this thing. We'll be right back in a minute. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Let's take a look so far what Alvin Bragg has accomplished. Uh, they've already held the Trump Organization accountable. Minor fine, $1.6 sure. when you're worth $10 billion, if not more, right? Then, of course, you also have uh, the Alan Weisselberg matter. We now have the attorney general, our unsinkable, you know, Tish James. It's going to take a lot of money off of the, out of the Trump coffers. Yeah. Let's be, you know, real about that sure. one. So he is being held accountable. Back with me, former Senator Doug Jones of Alabama, former Brooklyn prosecutor Charles Col Coleman Jr. and Politico's Renato Mariotti. And that was Michael Cohen uh, on our program uh, in back in February. And that was about a week before he went for his 16th meeting with this New York grand jury. He's been 19 times Renato Mariotti. They have brought him back and back and back. There is some irony <laughs> that I uh, was chatting about with my producers uh, during the break that of all the things that Donald Trump is alleged to have done, Leading up to an insurrection, not paying taxes potentially for his entire lifetime. The things Alan Weisselberg went to prison for. He got the real accountability for what Trump was doing at Trump Inc. You could go through all of it, the things that he's allegedly done. And it is somewhat ironic that the thing that appears the most sort of um, ever present as a threat to his 
freedom to his whatever, is this, right? Is, is this, the Stormy Daniels payment. But it, we are where we are. So let's just walk through it. This in some ways seems like the easiest out of all those cases, right? It's not making fake electors. It's paying off somebody for a sexual matter. But how complicated actually would it be if he were to be indicted to prosecute a case like this? Oh, it'd be very complicated. Uh, you know, uh, Charles mentioned a moment ago that, of course, he's entitled to a fair trial. He gets all the constitutional protections of any defendant. And so one question is, is Manhattan a proper venue? Can he get a fair trial there? What about pretrial publicity? How are you going to screen a jury like that? What is the voir dire going to look like? What sort of <laughs> questions do you ask these people? Are you going to find people who don't have preconceived notions of Donald Trump's guilt or uh, not? So I think that's going to be a very, very challenging, uh, not only for the Manhattan DA's office, but for whatever judge is, I don't know, unfortunate or fortunate enough to be assigned to this matter. So I think it will be a difficult uh, process. But I will say this, Joy, I do have faith in the jury system in the United States, in our criminal justice system, to be able to screen off jurors who really have a bias in a case like this. And I do think that, the, uh, that there are judges who can keep control of this courtroom. And I do think that he can receive a fair trial in this country. I, I think the question is just going to be whether or not uh, District Attorney Bragg pulls the trigger. And it, and it does appear like he's going to do that. Uh, you know, Charles, it's a very good point. Donald Trump lost the borough of Manhattan. I think like 87 percent of the people there voted for Joe Biden. It was one of his worst performances in the entire state, a state that he also lost. He also lost the election. I know he doesn't believe it, but he does. Well, he actually does believe it, but we're not going to go there. But you're, it would be very difficult because you're right. He is entitled, as you said, to a fair trial. How do you even screen a jury? This is one of the most famous people in the country, if not in the world. He was former president of the United States. You have people who believe in him so much that it is a, essentially a cult. You have people who believe things like QAnon. Could they be on the jury if you believe in something like a conspiracy? Do you have to start screening people politically to make sure that you could find somebody who could? I mean, I think about the Murdoch trial. You're in the low country. Everybody knew the Murdoch. So it's possible to get a jury of your peers, even if you're well known, and to get a conviction as a prosecutor. They did in that case. How would you even do it in Manhattan? Well, Joy, the first thing is you have to consider whether you're going to seek a change of venue, because mm. in any you across the United States of America, you're talking about the former president. And so everyone is going to have an opinion. The standard, the question, the issue that any judge and any prosecutor speaking as a former prosecutor is going to seek to employ is, does your opinion reign so strong that it prevents you or may prevent you from being fair and impartial on this particular matter? And that is a question that the judge is going to ask. We understand that you have opinions. We understand that you are going to have an opinion about Donald Trump. But is that opinion so strong? Is it so prevalent that it will prevent you from being fair and impartial here with the facts and the law as they are given to you? Now, if a juror says no, then the judge has to go forward with that. And then either of the sides or either of the parties has to then make a decision as to whether to use any of his challenges during jury selection as to whether they don't want someone on the, on the jury. What I suspect is that we would hear during jury selection and during the questionnaire and the voir dire, a lot of questions about 
Where do you get your news? Where do you watch mm-hmm. news from? Things of that nature to try to ascertain whether there might be a political bias. But political bias in and of itself will not be enough or sufficient to kick someone off of a jury in a case like this if it is brought forward. And then I, I get to, and Senator Jones, you've been a, a target of this. You, you know what Trump is like. Um, when you were running for re-election in the state of Alabama, you, you took the, the full fusillade that he likes to dish out. And, and this prosecutor, to be honest, the Alvin Bragg would face that. There is going to be an allegation that he's a political prosecutor. Um, he's a black man, so it could get racial. It's Trump, right? It, it could get really ugly. Um, he's done that with Let- with Letitia James. He's done that with Fonnie Willis. He's tried to characterize them in a specific way. And then there are his his troops, his ground troops, his people who you'd have to then think about it when they were mad that he lost an election. They ransacked the Capitol. And so you have to think about the security aspects. He has attracted, and not saying he's tried to, but he has attracted elements of white nationalists. He's attracted people like the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, et cetera, who do, according to the FBI, pose a security risk. So talk a little bit about the logistics of having such a trial, whether you moved it out of Manhattan or not. Well, I'm going to assume for a moment it'll stay in Manhattan because I think ultimately you'll get a good jury, a judge there that will work through this. And there's a, any number of ways that you can work through uh, jury selection, including calling a ton of people uh, to that jury selection. If you ever get to that point, you can use jury questionnaires. You can use a number of things, individual questioning of jurors as opposed to uh, courtroom questioning. I think the security aspect, Joy, is a very, very serious one. Um, and not that uh, Donald Trump may incite this, like I think he did on January 6th, but I think that the, the stage has already been set, the die is cast, and uh, folks will, will be revved up about this. And it's not just the crowds. You have to worry about the lone wolves uh, that are out there that think God has sent them to do this in favor of Donald Trump. There's a lot of things that'll have to be uh, considered. And remember, when we're talking about credibility of, of witnesses, we really haven't heard very much from Donald Trump's point of view on this. Just a, He's really not been very vocal about this. And you can count on the fact that Michael Cohen's credibility will, will be uh, on front and center. And the attacks are not just going to go to the prosecutor. They're going to go on Cohen. They're going to go on Stormy Daniels. There is likelihood to allege that, wait a minute, I'm the victim here. This was an extortion attempt. You're charging the wrong person. Just looking, Avenatti's already gone to prison. This is going to get absolutely crazy if an indictment comes down. But look, that is something that I am confident that the DA and the court system and the security around there will take into account and they will judge whether or not to seek an indictment based on the facts and the law and not all the extraneous matters. You've got to follow the rule of law and deal with the consequences of what that may entail. I'm going to do a quick lightning round with my other two former prosecutors. Yes or no, would you try to move this case out of Manhattan, Renato? Absolutely not. You you gave the percentages. It's actually a great place for a prosecutor to pick a jury from in this particular case. Charles Coleman Jr., would you move it? Try to move not it? A ch- not a chance I move it as a prosecutor. Not a chance that I don't try to move it as a defense attorney. Wow. Uh, (laughs) There you go. Uh, Thank you. This is a great uh, group. Thank you very much. Former Senator Doug Jones, Charles Coleman Jr., Renato Mariotti. Thank you all very much. Much more on this breaking news right after the break. 
Hey everyone, it's Chris Hayes. This week on my podcast, Why Is This Happening? We're back with another installment of our special series with Pod 2024, The Stakes. I'm talking to experts about both Joe Biden and Donald Trump's records on specific policy areas during their time as president. This week, a biggie. AbortionEveryday.com founder Jess Valenti on the stakes of reproductive rights. Conservatives, Republicans would like us to believe that this is something that voters are sort of super polarized on, that we're evenly split down the middle. And that's just not true. Voters want abortion to be legal, even in red states, even in purple states. That's why we're seeing attacks on democracy. That's this week on Why Is This Happening? Search for Why Is This Happening wherever you're listening right now and follow. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. Breaking news tonight, the New York Times reported late today that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office is inching closer to the end of its investigation. And it is huge news in and of itself. But the prospect that Donald Trump could face criminal charges would plunge this country into uncharted waters. To be clear, we do not know what will happen. But over the weekend, the former president told reporters that he would stay in the race for president even if he was indicted. They've even weaponized the local agencies and the local DAs and attorney generals. They put people from the Justice Department in the Manhattan DA's office. I mean, think about that. Uh, they're racists. you got a lot of racists. you got a lot of uh, race baiting. It's a disgraceful thing that's going on. There's never, the country's never seen anything like it. And yeah, probably it'll enhance my numbers. Joining me now is David Jolly, former Republican congressman and MSNBC political analyst, and Tara Setmeyer, senior advisor for the Lincoln Project and former Republican Party communications director. Tara, I do have to go to you because this is the least surprising soundbite, I think, ever. Uh, okay, I mean, Fonnie Willis is African-American. Alvin Bragg is African-American. Letitia James is African-American. They are three black prosecutors who pose a threat to Donald Trump's financial, you know, potential uh, liability and potentially his liberty, uh, not Tish James, but the other two. And so he has gone right to the race card, right? He's gone right to their racists. But as, as silly and Trumpy as that is, it's also dangerous at a time when we face the largest increase in racist violence, in threats from white nationalism. This is what the FBI director, Christopher Wray, has said. Donald Trump would use that to his advantage if he were indicted, correct? Absolutely. That's not you or I saying that. That is the law enforcement professionals who study this, who are paid by the taxpayers to make sure that the American people are fully aware of what the threats are to the country, domestic and abroad. And that's what they have said. We didn't make it up. So we can see with our own eyes the type of, of um, extremism that Trump and Trumpism has ginned up during the era of Trump on the political scene. It was it, we could have predicted what his response was going to be. As soon as we saw that the prosecutors happened to be African-American in all three cases here, which are the most the biggest legal threats to Donald Trump yet, you could have predicted what he would say. And you know what? It's so typical because the you know what the average an average white guy fears more 
is successful people of color who are in positions of power. So yeah, he should be afraid of them because they are actually excellent at what they're doing. And they have evidence against him that for once he may actually pay a price. And that there's nothing worse for Donald Trump. Not only could he pot potentially be held accountable, but by people of color. This, this is par for the course for him. He has been a racist his entire life, all the way back to his first time on the front page of the New York Post because of racist housing policy with him and his father in the 70s. So the idea that this is just another avenue for him to use the race card isn't surprising to me, but this is part of his brand. What's more problematic is that the Republican Party and the leaders of the party who claim they need new generational leadership and how they need to turn the page, none of them will come out and condemn this because they know they need that base. Unfortunately, that base of support is very powerful. And Trump is probably right. He will get more support. They will. In, in August, you had a New York Times Siena poll after the FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago, or search of Mar-a-Lago. His support was at 44 percent, virtually mm -hmm. unchanged. So it's the establishment, the Republicans may use this as a political tool against him to say, oh, we need new leadership. He's too damaged. But the base doesn't want to hear it. They're still with him. And what does that say about the Republican Party? It's not a party anymore. It's an extremist movement at this point. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is the challenge, I think that prosecutors have to think about. I mean, the, the, Alvin Bragg is an elected official. Um, it, he's not supposed to think about politics when it comes to deciding who to prosecute. A crime is a crime is a crime. So we, we need to think about it from that point of view. But here is the atmosphere that he is making this decision and will make this decision on. This is the statement today, David, from Trump's spokesperson. The Manhattan district attorney's threat to indict President Trump, former, he, they should say former, is simply insane. For the past five years, the DA's office has been on a witch hunt investigating every aspect of President Trump's life, and they've come up empty at every turn. And now this, the fact that after their intensive investigation, the DA is even considering a new political attack, political attack, is a clear exoneration of President Trump in all areas. They just like saying President Trump over and over again. President Trump was the victim of extortion then, just as he is now. It's an embarrassment to the Democrat prosecutors. It's an embarrassment to New York City. The challenge here is that for Republicans in elected office, including in Washington, they've built their entire brand around creating committees to investigate the supposed attacks on him, to reinvestigate the investigations of January 6th, to try to codify conspiracy theories he dreamed up in his head. That is what they are still committed to. And the ones who are not committed to it lay down for it. Thinking about Kevin McCarthy. Talk a little bit about from having been there. Yeah. What might the atmosphere look like on the Hill if this indictment sure. happens? Yeah. Yeah, Joy, significant repercussions for the decision by Alvin Bragg, Fonnie Willis, or the U.S. Attorney General. I think each of them will make a decision within the four corners of the law. But the pre-charging work that will go into protecting the atmosphere and environment around the charges, the security of everybody involved would be significant, could take some time. The question that I think this ultimately will test, because we have known the likelihood of Donald Trump running for president, facing indictment or having been indictment, continues to go up. The question then becomes, has Donald Trump been leading a political movement or a cultural movement? Because in a political movement, there are enough people who want him to go away. Even the leading contenders who are following his, in his footsteps, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, take Mitch McConnell or, as you mentioned, Kevin McCarthy, someone who would shine Donald Trump's shoes with his own spit right now. All of them want the prosecutors to get rid of Donald Trump because they don't yes. have the courage to do it. 
if Donald Trump is leading a political movement, then Donald Trump, this starts to fracture very quickly. But if he's leading a cultural movement, which is the big question, then you might see the questions around violence and whether or not we truly see the nation begin to be torn asunder because Donald Trump still holds captive 30 to 40 percent of the country. He will use this as a victim to say the deep state's after me. That means they're after you. Let's stick together and beat the Democrats and beat the prosecutors. This creates a dangerous environment, not one that should influence the decision of Alvin Bragg, Fonnie Willis or the U.S. attorney general, though. We've already seen, Tara, threats against FBI officials because they went into Donald Trump's home to get back our documents, our national security information. And they were literally then threatened by Donald Trump's people. We just discovered that Fox News is willing to lie to three million people per show per night about Donald Trump, even though they internally say they despise Donald Trump and don't believe anything that he says. If he does start that war that David just described and decide that that's the ground he's going to fight on, to turn it into a racial and political movement for him to defend himself, it's I don't even want to maybe think about what Fox News would do to it, do with it. But I kind of can guess. Yeah, I mean, he already has, right? We already saw the power of what he can do and what happens when you have um, the irresponsibility and the indecency and, and unethical actions of a news organization uh, indoctrinating people for years and years. Trump knows exactly what he's doing when he repeats these themes of a witch hunt. It was a hoax. It's it's they're they're after me and that means they're after you. He's been laying the predicate for this for years. So what would Fox News do? Well, clearly we've seen that they're craven enough and dishonest enough that they will they will shape the narrative to placate their people, not what the truth is. They've completely sold out the country. The democracy, truth, journalistic ethics be damned. They don't care. It's about the stock prices and our viewers. It, it, so we can't trust a, a word that comes out of anybody's mouth at Fox News, not even the, the quote, news people like Brett Baer and others who they tried to save the reputation of Fox. No, not even them. They're all in on it. Fox should lose yeah. its FCC license. They, you know, th that's the big story over there. I hope the Senate takes, goes, you know, has hearings and, and looks into that because Fox cannot be trusted. They're a state-run, well, under Trump, state-run propaganda type channel. So, this is what is Fox going to do if this if this happens and Trump runs around the country telling people that this is a witch hunt against him and tries to convince people to take up arms or to storm local capitals? Who knows what the hell he'll do to yeah. try to save his own self? But it's um, I, I worry about that. That is a real question. But that's why we have to make sure that we continue to show people how duplicitous they are. Show them that they're lying to them. What does that do? Will that actually finally convince people to maybe say, wait a minute, they're all full of it? I don't know, but we need to keep showing them the truth. I'm going to give you the last word on this, David, because I think that there is a very real security concern, given what we know that the propagandists on the Trump side will do and what regular order Republicans will let them do and say. In this environment, how worried are you that a prosecution like this could lead to the kind of violence we saw on January 6, 2021? Very much so, because Donald Trump would remain a candidate for the GOP nomination sitting in a New York prison, and he is going to yeah. cultivate the, these cultural angst and anger behind him. And I think your previous panel hit it best, which is it may not be a call to arms by Donald Trump, but it's the lone wolf and the natural adjacent partners in this dangerous cultural movement that I think would create the security risk for the country. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, we hate to have to think about this because the law is supposed to be the law and it is not supposed to depend on the threats that surround a potential defendant. When you prosecute terrorists, you prosecute all sorts of people without regard to that. But it's something, unfortunately, with a former president of the United States that we actually have to think about. Uh, it is a wild time to be alive. Uh, David Jolly and Tara Setmeyer, thank you both very much. We'll be right back. Like many of you, I had very low expectations, both before and after. It took 15 rounds of voting to get Kevin McCarthy the speaker's gavel. This is the man, after all, who rightly concluded that Donald Trump was morally responsible for the attack on our Capitol on January 6th, only to fly down to Palm Beach, Florida, and apologize to Trump before turning his soul over to the former president to do it as he will. Now that he's lived down to those basement floor expectations and handed over January 6th footage to right-wing performance artist Tucker Carlson, McCarthy has also solidified his party's status and himself as a benighted speaker forever tied to a perhaps soon-to-be-indicted former president. McCarthy's MAGA trolls, who effectively control him and the House, used a hearing of their Government Weaponization Committee to drill down on the so-called Twitter files in an ongoing attempt to feed the right-wing fever dream that tech companies are conspiring to censor conservative content while hiding the, air quotes, truth about the Biden family. They called up journalists Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger, two of many chosen to show Elon Musk's narrative, who complained that Democrats were being mean to them. This morning, we saw a stunning display of their attack of your character. We shouldn't be surprised. This is what the defenders of big government corruption do. I often say that sunshine is the best disinfectant. And boy, after listening to you and reading the reports that I have, does our federal government need to be fumigated? You don't want the American people to see what happened, the full video, transparency. You don't want that, and you don't want two journalists who have been named personally by the Biden administration, FTC, in a letter? The Biden administration And you're saying is they're here the to help FTC. us? They're here to tell their story. And frankly, I think they're brave individuals for being willing to come after they've been named in a letter from the Biden FTC. Joining me now is Congressman Dan Goldman of New York, a member of the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. You know, I, there, there's a desperation to Jim Jordan, I think, in the yelling. I know he does yell all the time. But what has, in your view, this Weaponization of Government Committee accomplished thus far? Nothing. Okay. Absolutely yeah. nothing. I mean, we've been focusing on Twitter um, and this sort of misunderstanding of how the First Amendment works and how law enforcement works. I mean, one of the problems with this subcommittee is that Jim Jordan and others don't understand how the FBI, the Department of Justice, actually investigates crimes. And one of the things I asked the witnesses today is, do you think it is a legitimate objective of the FBI to prevent foreign interference? in our elections. Yeah. It seems like a pretty basic understanding. Sure. And they would not give me a straight answer. They would not say yes to that. Right. And so we're just dealing with people who are trying to make political points to uh, undermine Joe Biden, support Donald Trump. And it's going to get worse in many ways. The, the hearing today was about a, what a private company did. Yeah. The First Amendment doesn't even apply to a private right. company. But we, we've now had allegedly these fake whistleblowers who are essentially bought and paid for by Donald Trump's allies. Yeah. They've actually been paid. Yeah. And that's who they're trying to trot. And so what is clear about this committee is that it is a 
there is collusion with Trump world yeah. to try to launder misinformation in support of Donald Trump through an official committee of the House of Representatives, and that is dangerous, and that's abuse of power. I, mean, I was saying the other day, that it's sort of sort of like the dealers and the users are like the same people now, because yeah. what you have is you do have a misinformation universe that's real, that's dangerous, that we saw on January 6th will lead people to believe an election was stolen because they don't understand how elections work, right? But when you ramp people up with what they think is real, then you empower people who bought that same conspiracy theory genre, and then they're on the other side of the dais. They're going to try to prove the conspiracy theories are real. I'm going to prove that no one ever landed on the moon. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove the moon is made of cheese. I'm going to prove it because I have a conspiracy theory. If they are in the business of trying to prove conspiracy theories true, to link in the story we were talking about in the previous um, in the previous segment, if Donald Trump gets indicted, I cannot even imagine what the weaponization of government committee would do with that. Because I actually think a weaponization of government committee is a good thing. We've seen the weaponization of the federal government. We saw it in the Trump Justice Department. I think there should be committee hearings on that. We saw Michael Cohen flung into prison, right, for writing a book. Yeah. Well, that's what I said today. I said, you know, if you want to do a hearing on the government, we- weaponizing the government to prohibit the First uh, First Amendment protected speech, let's bring in all the Republican officials who are banning books around the country. Let's bring in Bill Barr and talk about the fact that Donald Trump's enemy was literally jailed in order to prevent him from publishing a book. But here we are talking about Twitter. It's yeah. it's kind of a, a makes it a mock mockery of what, you know, we're, we're actually trying to do. Those of us who came to Washington here to actually do the people's work to think about our problems. And there are problems that we could address. Sure. I mean, the balance between law enforcement and the First Amendment with social media companies is a tricky, difficult problem 100%. that needs serious thinking, not this sideshow that we're having. But you talk about conspiracy theories This committee is made up of a bunch of conspiracy theories, and now they're trying to backfill the evidence. But there is no evidence. There is no support for what they want to be able to conclude and what they've already concluded. And so we're getting these hearings that sort of are increasingly seems like some crazy circus that is removed from reality. And the thing is that then that reinforces people's lack of belief in government because government looks silly, right? And we, there could be a real purpose to this, but instead they're making it, we're just going to prove all these wild conspiracy theories off of 4chan are really true. And they can't do it, as you said. I, I, I want to read to you just really quickly something that Donald Trump, who is the person that they believe in the most, he has alleged that the Justice Department, top of weaponization of government, weaponized local agencies, put people from the Justice Department in the Manhattan DA's office, which is not true. That There's racists rampant throughout these local DA's and they are coming to get him. He's already done a pre sort of defense, which is a conspiracy theory. And I wonder what you think the atmosphere then becomes like on Capitol Hill for the security of people on Capitol Hill. We've seen January 6th happen when people got mad about a conspiracy theory. I don't think there's any question that Donald Trump's chances of winning the Republican nomination will increase if he gets indicted. That is the backwards world that we're we're operating in because he is always trying to play the victim. And in this case, he now will have an indictment and these wild 
false, completely baseless accusations that he can just fly, fling around. And the problem is so many people have drunk his Kool-Aid that they will believe it. But everybody's security is going to be at risk if Donald Trump is indicted, not just the people who are in that Manhattan DA's office, yeah. but anybody who is, uh, you know, who opposes him or, or calls him out. I mean, look what happened to January 6th. Yeah. It's going to really get more inflamed if he does not control things, and we know he won't. And we know that there, I mean, we, there was the Jenna L story, the story we would have done today, which is that she admitted to lying about January 6th. This is somebody who called him an idiot, then decided to go all in and lie for him to the point where she could have lost her bar license. That's how much people are willing to do for this guy, right? Even if they don't really believe in him. Um, and so it, it does worry me that whether they're play acting like a guest she was, I can't tell, or whether they really mean it, the Republican Party seems bought into whatever conspiracy theory he's selling. They're going to sell it with him. Well, I mean, look at the Fox News stuff. I mean, Tucker yeah. Carlson is talking, you know, saying how he hates him, he hates him. Dis dis so passionately. And then he's going on and parroting him and, and promoting him. And I, I mean, there's there's a the, the right wing ecosphere is very disconnected from reality, but they will never be watching you and me. Yeah. It's a bubble yeah. and it's very difficult to break through. It's a significant problem that we're facing. And I'm excited to see where that Dominion lawsuit goes because yeah. it, it has the possibility of really breaking through that. We are out of time, but really quick yes or no question. As a pro former prosecutor, do you do this indictment anyway if you think that he, that he, that he did it? If you have the facts and you have the evidence yeah. and you have the law, yep. you absolutely indict. You cannot be afraid. Congressman and former prosecutor Dan Goldman, great to have you. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. What a night. That is tonight's readout. There comes a point when the right to vote requires a fight to vote. MSNBC Films presents Battleground Georgia, a story that explores the ugly history of voter suppression and how Georgia is leading the charge against it. Something has to change. The old South is being replaced by the new South. Battleground Georgia, part of the Turning Point documentary series from executive producer Trevor Noah. Sunday, May 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on MSNBC.